setup, I know. It feels like a party. It is. So as we gather in today, um, I have what I, what I, um, what's the word? What I believe to be the most important message I've ever given. I've said that before, though, but this is. I have said that a lot, but this is one I've, I've, I've taught throughout the years in some form or another, but I haven't taught at this church, oddly enough. I mean, and it's um, just, what? Yes, I am. I'm going to. Uh, do you want to come? No, you have any more information? Why don't you come here and give the announcement? So I got word this morning that Elijah, uh, those of you who may not know him, Elijah is a worship leader. He had a stroke last night. Now, I don't know. Um, the kids are here today. I want to be sensitive. I'm waiting to hear back from Andrea to find out if we can share publicly. Um, he has no use of his left side of his body as of right now. Uh, he's on a feeding tube. His speech is slurred. He's in Medical City, Plano. But um, we're praying over him that he will fully and wholly recover and God to heal him. Let's, let's go to prayer right now. Let's, let's, let's just lift him. Lift your hands. Let's pray to the Lord. Father. Merciful and mighty God, we pray right now for your hand, Lord, to outstretch, Lord God, and to touch his body. Lord, give him full and complete, Lord, recovery without fail. And Father, we ask in your holy name, believing, Lord, today that he is healed, Lord God that every effect of the stroke will be removed, the cause of the stroke will be eliminated, and that, Lord, he will fully and wholly recover every bit of his confidence, every bit of his health, and, Father, bring peace to the family right now. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. Yes, we need to continue to lift them up, and we will keep you posted as we are able to do so. Today, as we get started... Um, I want us to turn in our Bibles to John 13, and then also turn to 2 Samuel 6. I'm going to parallel these two stories. Um, we talked about the last couple of weeks, we talked about the Pledge of Allegiance, in that we serve God and we pledge our allegiance to Him. And the thing, the ordinance of the church that we use to do so, to pledge that allegiance to the Lord, is, is baptism. That's how Peter lines it out, that, that our baptism corresponds to Noah in that he condemned the world by building a boat and getting in it, and the water corresponds, the water of the flood, this is what the Bible points out, the water of the flood corresponds to our baptism in that whenever Noah got in the boat, he condemned the world right? And then he said no to the world. And when he was brought through, this is just Peter's teaching here. As he was brought through to the other side of the flood, he opened the door. The Lord opened up the door to a new day, a new earth. In effect, his was a new life. Is that not true? 
it was a new day. So Peter says in the same way he corresponds our baptism, actually the baptism in water. Not, I mean, there are lots of people who get baptized in water who don't actually have a true heart confession. We, we know these things. But Peter assumes that a person who is being baptized has made a confession of faith, and it corresponds in the same way to, to that believer as it did to Noah. Could Noah go back to the old world? See? He couldn't. He could not. It was inconceivable for him to go back to the world that existed prior to the flood. In the same way, your baptism, see, that's your, put your thinking cap on. That's the reckoning part that Peter's talking about. Reckoning yourself in the same. Now, you say, well, if lots of people go back to their old way, it's because they don't know how to reckon. It's because they don't know how to understand what they just said they were doing. And that's why I think a lot of people stand in baptismal tanks and have no conceivable notion of what it is that they're doing. They are standing in those waters, and they are saying, just like Noah condemned the world, when I go down, I am condemning my old way of life, buried with him. And I am resurrecting to a what? Brand new day. And it is to every... Now, we live in a very populated environment. And I'm not talking about the persons that you see with your eyes. We live in a populated environment spiritually as well. There are principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places. What do you think it would look like if we could see with our natural eyes the overlapping of the spirit world with the natural world? not reckoning. We don't have eyes to see, right? But we know, we know that in the beginning of the world, in the garden, that man walked, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, and God is clearly defined by Jesus, who ought to know that God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we know that man in his formation, in his genesis, was made as such that he could not only live, he lived in a place called the garden where it is the very house of God where he could interact and his job was to populate the earth where he could interact with God in a, in a heavenly sense and on earth in a natural sense. And the two were merged together seamlessly so that man could coexist with God because we are, let's face it, we are, we are, how do I want to put this? I've heard it said before. We are not natural people having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual people having a natural experience because the reality of our, of our eternal existence, right? Every person that is born in the earth is born for an eternity of existence somewhere. That's why that's why God is so specific about, about children, about sex being in a covenant relationship. It's because when, I don't need to explain reproductive systems to you, do I? That when two people come together, they, ha they can potentially produce what? An eternity. 
every every child that is born is an eternity. All of a sudden, that seems like something that's not so prohibitive as do not commit adultery. That sounds like something that is utterly and totally protective. God is guarding eternities because our prison systems today are full of fatherless people. It's chorus, yeah. And then we dedicate a child. We are not dedicating a child. We are dedicating parents to care for an eternity. So see, the, all of a sudden, the, it's sobering, isn't it? And so that's what, that's what we, you know, we're not trying to be prudish. But we, we understand it's because we have such a short attention span. <laughs> it's because, you know, I, I've thought of this many, many times and that I was driving. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I don't know about y'all. I'm a thinker. Any thinkers in the place? And I know. I just think all the time. I don't want the radio on. I just think, 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 think. And I'm, so, I'm such a thinker that I get confused about what, you know, I forget that other people might be watching me think. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I might just be at the house and just be, th- I'm lost in my own thoughts. And I might just stop and start like gesticulating. And Mike's going, what are you doing? He don't even ask anymore. He knows that the lines between my thought life and my. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it just, and you know, I can be putting on makeup and that's where I do my most thinking because it's just a mundane activity for me. You know, I could just do it with my eyes closed, and sometimes you think I do. And, and I just, you know, do that, and I'm just thinking. I'm in deep meditation. I can just really hear the Lord there just because I can just zero in in that mundane activity. And then Michael come in when we first got married especially, and he, I'd be going, I'm looking at myself in the mirror, and I'm just like, I'm not saying anything out loud, but I'm using the mannerisms of what I'm saying in my head. And they're out loud. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm just talking with Mike's friend. He's like, he'll say, he would say, what are you doing? What do you mean? He said, are you crazy? No, I'm just, I'm just talking to a better class of person here. (laughs) Just figuring things out. I'm just figuring things out. So I was just in one of these figuring out modes one time. And I just had the thought, you know, I I think it was the Lord because it just wasn't, some things, some thoughts are just more profound than I think my brain is capable of, so I credit those to the Lord. And so I, I was just, I was thinking, and I felt like the Lord said, imagine a world, Andrea, where when that, that what you lost in the fall was perhaps your sight, your actual visual, your sight. Imagine that would you, you know, the Lord said, would you miss your eyes? Would you? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't miss your eyes if you'd never, ever, ever, ever had sight. Would you miss your eyes? If you were born, if what Adam lost in the fall, let's just pretend, if what Adam lost in the fall was his actual sight. And humanity from that point on never had sight. Would you miss that? No. Why wouldn't you miss it? 
You never had it to me. Okay, so you're with me now. So that's what the Lord did. He said, okay. Then I was like, well, Lord, the world would be, I instantly said, well, Lord, the world would be entirely different. He said, exactly. How would it be different? I'm driving my car. I said, well, I wouldn't be driving this car. He said, so, this is the Lord talking to me. He said, so, you're saying that the systems that man would build without sight would be different than the systems they built with sight. Yeah, yes, exactly. Of course, it'd have to be. He said, so can you conceive of a loss that you're unaware of that systems have now been built and you don't even know what you lost? I was like, I can. So, Lord, you're telling me that the systems that we have built have been without our spiritual sight. He said, bingo. And you don't even know what you've lost. And you've built all these systems around spiritual blindness. But you don't even know what it is to really see. Because the capacity of you. And this is what the Lord has been speaking to me. Do you really even know what it means to be human? I mean, he, he, he created Adam out of the dust of the earth, the first human. Now, Adam knows what it means to be perfectly human. And who else knows what it means to be human? The last Adam. They are the only two persons who ever walked on this planet who could actually, you could sit down with and say, what does it mean to be human? But we have created a construct of humanity. When we say, I'm only, what are we saying? I'm limited, I'm failing, I'm weak, I'm subservient. We're saying all these things. So Jesus shows up to reveal to us the Father, whom until this time, he had not been completely without sight humanity had not been without sight to the father because he in order to reveal god to reveal himself to the world he raised up one man named abraham and through that man one man abraham he gave a promise and he began to work and he brought forth a nation and in that nation he brought them out of slavery and in that in that nation who were no longer slaves but were, were delivered by the mighty hand of God, he put his laws in them. He made a covenant with them. And that covenant went on and he dealt solely with this nation. Now others could come into this nation as they submitted to the laws of God. Period. Period. That's how it was. You didn't get to bring in your idolatry. There was no syncretism, I think is the word, mixing. God was so specific about no mixing. He said, don't even mix your seed. We'll talk about that sometime. Don't even mix your fabrics. We'll talk about that sometime. And you're like, why do you care about that? How many of y'all have mixed fabric on this morning? I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> we don't worry about that's why. Because that wasn't the message was to tell us not to mix our fabric. The message was to tell us, don't mix with others that were in the world at the time. Namely, the Nephilim of the giant clans. 
who all the cultures of the world were built around. <laughs> Girl, you got it. We'll build back better. Anyway, that's that's what that's the I think that's what um, Nimrod said, wasn't it? So anyway, as we go forward, we look and God is revealing himself. He's revealing himself to these people, but they don't see a clear picture of him, Tommy. They gave him the word. He revealed himself through covenant. He revealed himself through Moses. He reveals himself through David. He reveals himself through so many of the biblical accounts, through, through Samuel, through every judge. There's a portion of God he's revealing, but the image is distorted, isn't it? They don't see clearly. And so then we continue on and we continue on. And then we find that into the narrative, this nation is the womb of a man, another human. One who knows what it means to be human. He doesn't just come to be human in him was life. He comes to be the light of man. He comes to reveal the Father. So what does it mean to be human? It means to reveal who God is because we're made in his image. And it also, Jesus came to reveal what else? Who we are. Of course. And he shows us who the Father is, but what it means to be human. That's the, what it means to be human. That's, yeah, that, that without, without connection to the Father. And so back to my scenario, what if, we, what if what we lost was a spiritual blindness that we've never known? Would you say it would be hard for you? With the systems that you have built and placed in order, would it be hard for you to develop and espouse yourself to a new operating system? And now we have what we call the flesh. It's an operating system that is devoid of connection. Probably not. We don't probably like the updates any better because sometimes we get comfortable with what we have. And many of us find, and I myself found myself there in 2016. That's when the Lord just started shaking everything in my world. Is he began, and that's how long it is. I mean, you know, thinking takes a while. Apparently. Or some, I mean, I'm on, you know, remedial. <laughs> but the, the fact of the matter is the Lord asked me the question. Well, it started out one day in, in, in prayer at my house, and I was just walking, and the Lord just asked me this question, and he said, he said, you know, I was, I was working on my ordination. And so he, he said, and I was studying theology, oddly enough. And the Lord just interrupted that thought, and he said, theology. And there was kind of a laugh. He said, does man study God? He said, as if man could slide God under a microscope and view him. And I was like, 
well, I don't think, and I was like, so you don't like theology? I, you know, I'm like, God's speaking this to me. I'm like, what are you saying? I totally get that. And he said, does the, the grain of sand study the galaxy? That's right. He said, does, does the, he said, does the, does the, the mouse study the eagle? Does, does the novel study the author? No. And the Lord spoke and he said, no, I reveal myself to you. And I said, Lord, I want this. I don't want to study you as if I study you from some slide that I can put under a microscope and I can, I can nail down my, my, my doctrine and all these things. And, and I can say, now I have orthodoxy. Now I'm, I'm right. I have right doctrine. And right doctrine is very, very important. But it has to be something that is experiential and biblically sound, yes. But it, I, when I say experiential, I'm not saying that it's outside of Scripture. I'm saying it has to be woven into the fabric of who I am, not just something that settles in my gray matter, but something that settles far deeper in my cardia, in my heart. And I had to come to the place where right doctrine only flows forth from orthocardia, right heart. Right-heartedness and right-heartedness seems to start with right-headedness. Yeah, apocalypto, apocalypto, reveal. Aha. And that's what Jesus did. He pulled the cover off of humanity and he said, aha. But we were like, we don't have the systems like that, Jesus. We don't have those systems. We didn't build those systems. No, no, no. So what we started to do, we cling to our systems, our broken, blinded systems. We cling to them so desperately. We'll build doctrine around them. We'll build churches, denominations, anything. We'll build anything around them. We'll build our own stupidity around them. We will, and we'll just, we'll form them all up, and we'll find people who will join our club. I mean, you can find the most ignorant cults in the world, believing, head-scratching stuff. And they believe it. I mean, Jim Jones, he mixed the Kool-Aid, and they knew what they were drinking. As, and that's what the Spirit, how the Spirit of God spoke to me. He said, Andrea, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. And I was stunned when the spirit of God spoke to me. He says, it's as if you need a guide to truth. Yes, but how many of us are humble enough to know that we don't know everything? Jeremiah 33 and 3, another thing the Lord spoke to me. Ask of me and I will tell you great and mighty, I will show you great revelation, show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I was, Lord spoke that to him, I'm like, cool, great and mighty things, okay. I was like, hmm, seems kind of like, okay, tell me whatever you want to, Lord. But then it was years before I actually understood what the Lord was saying. Thou knowest not. I, he took me a few years to get me to the place where I was a know not. Do you know what, dear Jesus, help me. How long did it take to get me to the place to where I realized I didn't know? Do you know how hard it is to ascertain what you don't know? 
You don't know that you don't know. And then I was like, whoa, Lord, I am, thou art the potter, and I am the clay, in a very real sense. And then this, this notion of, of Jesus coming to reveal what it is to be truly human, and we surrender to him. We don't make him the Lord of our life. I understand what we mean when we say that, but if you could make him the Lord of your life, you could make him into anything. I don't make him the Lord of my life. I surrender the whole of my heart to him. Lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, done. I mean, I don't make him anything. I just, I, I repeat, I use his program. I repent. I confess. I believe. I surrender. I don't surrender some. I, I find that surrender is not done best in the installment method. You know what I mean? You got, you got anything in like an amortization program? <laughs> we want to amortize it out to eternity. And just before we step over, we're like, and oh, there we go. I got to kept something, you know, I had to, I, I lived the best of both worlds. See, until, until we realize that there's nothing best in this world, it's, it's got to go away. And so then we, fought, we flow in obedience. You can't surrender. You can you call it surrender if there's no obedience? I, but Jesus didn't think so. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, not do not the things which I say? What's he saying? You can't, you can't call it surrender if there's no obedience. And then we move on to the place where we're going to look at today is um, service. And we'll be answering the question, what does it mean to be really human? Well, I think we can only look. We can't talk to Adam, can we? We have very little. Adam had very little to say. I mean, he really had very little to say. How much conversation do we have with Adam in the scripture? It was a woman. I hid because I was afraid. It was her. The woman that you gave me. And then, does Adam speak? I'm just trying to think. I don't think he's, he doesn't speak another word, does he? And we don't ever hear a voice of Eve, do we? But we don't hear her voice. We hear God's voice. We hear we hear we have we hear um, commentary about Eve. We hear, com but we don't hear her speaking, giving any iteration. We have nothing. No, did she say that? I don't know. I, it may be. It may be. Anyway, I didn't look at it. But so we. What my point being is that we don't have a lot of. We don't have enough to build anything. <laughs> and I think that's specific, don't you? And so now, but we have a whole lot when we get to Jesus, don't we? So he, I think if we're going to build a case, my point being, before you strip off your clothes, start running naked, you know, because that's all we know about Adam, right? You know, he was naked and unashamed, <laughs> is that. We should probably check with the last Adam for our point of reference is, you know, I'm being funny there. But as we look at this, we see, I want to pick up the story of perhaps what is one of the greatest stories of what it means to be human. And in order, in order, I might just add, in order for us to come into this type of humanity, Jesus tells us very specifically, you're going to have to lay down your old brand of humanity. 
He who loses his life, and you know, it's to find his life, lose his life. He who retains his life, you know what I'm saying. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's the whole thing. So there's, there's a clear reference. It's in all four Gospels, by the way. I can give you those references later if you want them. But if you just look up one and scroll down, you'll find all of them. They're all cross-referenced together. But as we look here in John, I'm going to, I'm in the Passion, so I'm going to read the Passion Translation. Unless I don't like it and then in this. Yeah, sometimes it's mine, sometimes it's not. You know, it just depends. No, I'm saying totally opposite. We are conforming to his image, Jesus' image. Not, we're not conforming God to our image. We're conf- Yes, so... It is, and that being transformed, be you not, okay, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. So that's indicative of we're losing a life. We're losing our old brand of humanity to gain a new brand of humanity, right? That you beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, W-H, it's, it's holy, completely acceptable unto God. For this is your reasonable service. And be ye not transformed, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, reckoned by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there is a, I just know just as much that if you, if you could imagine living in a world that you lost something that you don't even know what you lost or how the systems would be differently if you hadn't lost what you didn't know you lost. And now we're going to have to go back and reform systems that you've never known or your parents haven't taught you and their parents didn't teach them and their parents' parents didn't teach them and their parents' parents' parents didn't teach them. This is going to be challenging so much so that Jesus said, look, it is so much better for me to go away. Because if I go, I will send the spirit of truth and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. And whatever I have that is of mine, my brand of humanity and my, you know, this, what I've done, accomplished, whatever is within this, the sphere of my will, whatever I have that is mine, I will reveal it to you. How's he going to reveal it to us? By the spirit. I mean, the spirit is the new administrator of the covenant. Moses was the old administrator, was the administrator of Moses and angels. That's what it says. He was the old administrator, and it was called a ministry of death. This is called a ministry of life. So then we come along to John 13, and we have verse 4. What does it mean to be really human? Well, Jesus is going to show us his last great example of, of, his, of, of what that last Adam looks like. Now, Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, and he had come, I'm in verse 3, and he had come from God, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer robe. Let's see where I'm at. And took a towel, could be like, a, think of an apron. He took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel or his apron. But when Jesus got to Simon Peter, he objected and said, You can't wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. And Jesus replied, You don't understand. What? I need a truth guide? You don't understand. 
Peter, you, you're not the right kind of a human. You don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing. But soon it will be clear to you. Peter looked at Jesus and said, you'll never wash my dirty feet. <laughs> but Peter, <laughs> but Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. So Peter said, Lord, in that case, you know, wash it all. Wow. Huh? He missed the point about feet. So we look at this, though, and what, what is the portrait? Let me, what is the portrait? Let's go Matthew 20 now. Let's just look here. Matthew 20. We need to, we need to really drive this home. Matthew 20 and 20. This will give us some 2020 about humanity. That is. 2020. Is this right? Oh, yes, it is. The wife of Zebedee, this begins the story. The wife of Zebedee approached Jesus with her sons, Jacob and John. Jacob is in passion, it's James. There's no such word as James, it's Jacob. Um, Jacob and John. She knelt before him and asked him for a favor. She said, or he said to her, what is it you want? And she answered, make the decree that these sons of mine will rule with you in your kingdom, one sitting on your right hand and one on your left. Wow, ambitious mom. I mean, we've never heard of a mom doing anything like that, have we? She's trying to get her sons in the, in the, well, in the inner circle, not just kingdom. She's trying to get them on the right and left. I mean, she wants them to have priority seating in the kingdom. I love this. I just love it because Jesus is, remember now, he's shining a light. He's giving us an example of what it means to be truly human. But we've got, we've got two different brands of humanity working here, don't we? We've got the mom of Zebedee. She's working her version of humanity. And we've got Jesus over here, and he's, show, he's, you know, he's revealing what it means to be really human. And he's doing it so slowly and sweetly. You know what I mean? Because he knows we're just blind fools. You know what I'm saying? When I say that, I mean, I say that with all due respect. That we're just blind. We don't understand. And so, and so we look at this and we see that she says, and she's asked for this thing. And, um, he, and Jesus replied, you don't know what you're asking. Clearly, she didn't. When looking in the eyes of Jacob and John, Jesus said, I love that. He looked at them and he said, are you prepared to drink from the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And are you able to endure the baptism unto death that I'm about to endure? They answered, yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. My mom thinks we are. <laughs> sure, we, yes, yes, yes. You will indeed drink of the cup of my suffering and be immersed in my death, Jesus told them. But to be the ones who sit on the place of highest honor is not mine to decide. My father is the one who chooses them and prepares them. Then the other disciples were listening to all of this and became jealous. And they, you know, they're like, what in the world? And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them aside and said, kings and those with great authority in the world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. Wow. Okay, we're fixing to get an insight into what it means to be human. Y'all ready? Drum roll. This is not your calling. 
Let's find out what is. This is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others. Because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. Orthocardia. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served, but to serve and give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. Jesus, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom? What does it mean to be a great human? To be a servant. And so Jesus then gives them this example of what it means. And I know this is probably, this is the crux, guys. And I say this is the most important message I will ever give you. It still is to this day. It is the crux that that you are no more spiritual than you are apt to serve. You are no more. And And I can't teach service to you. I can't teach it. I can't teach service. You either are one by the revelation of Christ in you. Or you see service as something to elevate you to another place. And see, that is the thing. I've shown you my example. If you've listened to me any time at all, you know I did the chair. Here's how people come to Jesus. Jesus is this chair. Please don't take offense. That's just an illustration. They come to the Lord and they, and they say, well, what is Jesus? What is Jesus? Oh, 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 he's a walking assistant. Helps my walk. Just a closer walk with thee. <coughs> Granted, Jesus is my plea. And just a walking assistant. You're like, well, that's good, though, right? Could be. No, 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 Jesus, he's it's a table. See? He's my provision assistant. He provides. You're like, well, that's good too. Yeah, yeah. He's provision. He's walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that all? Is that no? Others, others. We got the. See, I've got the. I've got the Baptists. I just gave you Baptists. They're the walking assistants. I'm just kidding. They're not really. Kind of, sort of, not really. And then you got the. You got the. The faith. The name it and claim it. He's like, here's my Jehovah. He's good. Give me. You give a seed. You get us. You know. You got that. And so you kind of folk. You know what I'm talking about? That's my charismatic. No one's safe here. And then, now, we got the Bethel crowd. It's next level charismatics. He's an elevation assistant. I reach the higher places. I can command demons. I can da-da-da-da. I can heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers. You're like, well, Andrew, you can do all that. Yes, but see, it's our motivation here, right? You see what I'm saying? What I, what I'm, why am I coming here? Am I coming from my walking assistant? Am I coming from my provision assistant? Am I coming from my elevation? But you're sitting here thinking, but I want all those things. Yes, you do, but you don't find them using Jesus that way. Because the author and the finisher of our faith gets to tell us what he is. He's a seat of rest. Finished. It's relationship. All these other things, all the other things, they're, in, they're from rest. They're just from the place of rest. All the uh, provision, yep, check, rest, I got it right here. Eleva- am, I, am I powerful? Yes, check, right here, rest, just rest. Yeah, I mean, I've got it all. 
I mean, but it's all in Jesus. I'm, oh, they're slimy. No, it's all. It's all in a one-stop shop, but it's how you approach. It's the, see, in order to do this, see, if I move, I don't have to surrender here. I don't have to surrender here. I don't have to surrender here. He surrenders to me in all those other postures. But here, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. See, that, that is what I'm talking about. And But what we find when we sit down in that seat is what? The new identity of what? And what is that? I just read to you the narrative. And what is he? I, this is what I want to get to today. He is a servant. See, I, I want to hear all those things, and those are good, but today I'm going to zero in because I'm still being diagnostic. I still am being diagnostic. He came to serve and not to be served. And so here's my point. Service is the new identity in Christ. That's what you're going to be, yes. Because it's who he is. He He submitted. He is now. He now exists and always has. This is where we get tricky. He always has existed, always will exist, always has in hypostatic union with the Father. That's what we call perichoresis. It is the Trinitarian fellowship of being completely separate, distinct is the word, but utterly and totally in submission and there's no there's no disunit there's no it's it's entirely but my point today is that when we our heart our heart for one another our heart for one another is so important it's important enough that John said that you can't even be identified in discipleship, if you don't have love for one another, he said that's how they're going to know. And this is where, this is where the challenge is so often in the body of Christ is that we have right theology. It's cardio. It's the, it's the heart. It's, it's, it's aching for one another. Not just existing because we're copacetic. We're copathetic sometimes. You know what I mean? Not just existing in, in a symbiosis. You're good for me and I'm good for you. You see what I mean? I mean, that's, that's there in somewhat, but it's, 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 it's we're living stones joined together. It's a body that, that when you hurt, I hurt. That I, I just, my desire, I love the word of God. And what else do I love? I've told y'all so many times, what else do I love? I love his church. I love his church. I've loved this church since I was a teenager, since I came into his church. I know I've loved his church because when my dad left his church and he started spitting at the ones who called themselves a member of the church, 
I was only 17. I said, you can't. I said, if you know so much how to do it right, then what happens if you leave? Don't, isn't your right behavior needed in the house? You don't have a heart of service if you leave. Stay and serve. Stay in love. Stay and, and be the example of who Christ is. Instead of pointing fingers. You know what I hate more than anything? Y'all know it. It's when people start deriding the church. I know. I know there's a lot of problems. But if you're just a part of the problem, then what are you? I want to see people who will take a towel who will strap themselves with the identity of a servant and who will drop down at another's feet and who will wash their feet in the body. We have a lot. Well, I'm going to serve the community. I'm going to serve the community. Everybody likes that. Everybody loves to serve somebody they can't get their hands on. You know, we should be serving the homeless, and that's well and good but they will throw rocks at the church and talk about serving the homeless. You can't. If you're biting and devouring your own body and you don't feel it, something's wrong with your central nervous system. It's leprosy. Anyway, so we look at this, and so Jesus served, and I just want this to come across. It's the new identity. The servant is not above his master. He laid down his identity. He he took off his outer garment. Let this same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that he didn't think it was Robert, but but he became a servant. Let each esteem others better than themselves. When we were youth pastors, I use this all the time. Youth girls are the worst sometimes. They can be the word. Believe me, I know I've been a youth pastor. I can say this with all. They, girls get, boys are not so much. They, I don't know. Boys are different than girls. Girls are just different. They'll get mad at each other. And You know, guys are like, I don't know. They're more linear. I don't know what it is. I'm not saying they don't, but just not the same as girls. And so girls, she, uh, Adria, she took my place in the Dairy Queen. Uh. So, when, uh, that's my spot, and she took my spot. I said, well, you know, you get to serve this time. The greatest among you will be your servant. You get to serve her and prefer her to have that spot over you. I just want to be, do you want to be like Jesus? Yeah. When Jesus is doing what I want him to do, shut up and serve. Go find somewhere else. Watch places sit. This is where you get to suck it up. Practice being a servant. Because you'll know how much of a servant you are when you're treated like one. <laughs> I mean, now, you know, you say, you say, Andrea, you can't do this. You can't, you can't tell people that kind of thing. I mean, just come on. I mean, I, that's how I raise my kids. I mean, there's times that there's injustice. There's times that there's injustice. Sometimes you have, to, you have to come in, and you have to divide a matter, and you have to let one not dominate another. I get all of that. I get all of that. This is, check it off, you know. I'm just saying there are times when you don't know what to do. 
when you don't know where to go, you know where you can always go? Lower. It's never crowded. No one's fighting for the low spot, are they? <laughs> yes. It's because there's an, I've already said, I already said there's a new administrator. There's a new administrator. He's administrating the covenant within me that I am. I, I reckon myself, I've done it all. I reckon myself dead. And so when I come to the place where I'm being totally alive and I'm wanting my will and my way, I come back to that, that, that point. At that point, I reckon myself dead. Because it's an act of faith. Because without faith, it's faith in, in his sacrifice. It's faith in his brand of humanity. It's faith in who he is. Am I telling you it's always pleasant? It's just not. I've been there enough times to know it's not always pleasant. But it gets more pleasant as I go. You know what it gets? It gets where it just gets more pleasant because I just get to reckoning a lot faster. And it's in that struggle it takes me the time to reckon. That's where my struggle's at. It's not in the doing. It's in the being. And so the Son of Man did not come. Service is not what you do. I want you to hear this. Service is not what you do to pay your dues. Full stop. It's what you become when your old nature is buried and his divine nature takes the throne of your heart. Jesus does not bother. You've got to hear this. Jesus does not bother to elevate past service. You'll never graduate from service. So you also, when you have done everything you were told you should do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. That's Luke 17 and 10. Service is fit for a king. So, you know, we're looking. And many people have this idea that they're going to serve. It's like they're going to serve for a while, and then they're going to get some other position. You're not. Jesus does not lower himself when he serves. You got to hear this. So what I say, the Jesus, now listen to this. Jesus does not lower himself to serve when he washes the feet. Well, what is he doing? He is elevating service. He made service the prize. He took service out of the despised camp. It's a new humanity, y'all. And he put it into the, the, the king camp, the thing that we're striving to be. He, so you're telling me, see, servants don't mark time as a servant. They don't mark time as a servant. If you're marking time as a servant, you still don't understand service yet. You don't understand the prize. So, so as we leave here today, we've got just a few more minutes. I'll leave you this with your own time. Anytime you see Jesus in the New Testament, you're going to find something in the Old Testament that mirrors it. It's just the Bible is so woven together beautifully. And so we see 
um, y'all know this story probably. In 2 Samuel, a man by the name of David, when he brought the presence of God into the house, oh, so much beauty. Many, when, when the presence of God is set in the house, Obed-Edom, I can't have you just being the only one blessed. i got to get that presence for myself. i got to get the presence. And so we have it. David, he, he, he tried to bring the presence as a king the first time. Carrying it, you know, the whole thing. But he didn't check with the law because you don't carry the presence on the shoulders of men, or on the ox cart, rather. You carry it on the shoulders of men. You don't put it on, they had an ox cart. They were built, they put it on a beast of burden and they were driving the presence in. It seems like, it, you know, it's just, it's just easier, right? It's quicker, it makes more sense. You know, I mean, we do, we'll let somebody else do the serving for us. A beast of burden. Well, sure, and so then we have, you know, Yuza, he's there, he's a Levite, he knew. So the ox is going through a ravine and he's got the, He's got the, you know, the, the what is it called? The Ark of the Covenant on him. And, and, and it uses like, oh, no, the Ark of the Covenant is going to fall. What in the world? Shh, stable it. Dead. David's like, whoa. Take it to Obed-Edom's house. I don't even know. David was mad. Yuza died. Because you can't make it about anything other than what it's about. See, there's no other target. You know, we're not, we're not fixing up service to be just another form of grandeur. And so here, so David gets it right and he comes in. But when he's got it right the second time, he, he does something very unique. It says he takes off his outer. Who else did that? We just read it. Jesus took off his outer garment in the upper room. He took off this, this perfectly woven garment that had no seaming. It was the garment of a wealthy person. He took that off, and he put on an apron, and he served. He washed their feet. And David took off his king. He wasn't naked. He just took off his kingly apparel. And then he began, the word of God says he did what? He danced with the maidens, with the little kids. He danced. He did a king. I mean, he spun and he danced and they sacrificed and he wasn't identifying himself as a king anymore. He was just, he was giving it all he had and he came in and his wife said, oh, you have embarrassed me and yourself. Yeah, he said, he said, I have been, it was before the Lord and I have been base in my own sight. And I will be more vile than thus. If you call that vile, then it's about to get real vile up in here. And so we see that. We see David took off his king's apparel. Many are trying to be successful and they're aiming their time and energy at achieving success. But if more were satisfied with being a servant, success would be a byproduct. The way of true greatness is servanthood because servanthood tempers the individual against the harmful effects of greatness. The dangerous atmosphere of greatness can only be lived in by servants. All others will begin dying as soon as they draw that first seductive breath. 
Servants tend to be surprised by greatness. Those who seek success feel entitled to it. Therefore, seek only servanthood. Desire only to serve and let greatness surprise you. This, this will test the motive of the heart, so don't be surprised how long it takes to materialize. Once you no longer mark time as a servant, you've actually become one. Servanthood is a trustworthy path for the long haul, but there is even a more powerful, majestic, and honoring way. It's love. Why love? Because I will always serve where I love. I can't help myself. The compulsion of love will drive me beyond understanding. That's why love is the principal virtue. It blesses and strengthens all others. It clarifies motivation of the heart. Love is the foundation for all true service. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man were offered all his wealth, wealth for the house of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. That was, it ended with scripture, but that was my notes before that. So, as long as, we got to go, as long as we no longer mark time as a servant, 